Blog Talk Radio. Summer Tour, 
to see Jay-Z and Justin Timberlake perform together. Now, I wound up going, or as Jason Mewes would say, winded up going with my friend Sushi, who uh, was very reluctant to go with me on our own. Now, I find that quite offensive that she was, you know, saying, that, oh, I think we need another one. I think we need a third in our group. So she, we wanted to bring our friend Matthew Eskew. Now, I wanted to bring Eskew not because I didn't think we would have a good time, just the two of us, but because uh, I wanted him to be in the experience with us as well or enjoy the experience with us as well. So he couldn't go because it was his uh, father's birthday and uh, we had to go on our own. And Sushi uh, was feeling pressured. She didn't know if we should go or not. And, it was, again, very offensive. Anyway, we wound up going. We both had to go to the same party earlier in the day. So we went to this rooftop party uh, at George Michael Sarah's rooftop. Uh, and then we left um, to go to Yankee Stadium. Now, I've seen Justin Timberlake twice before this. Once in his first tour, which was with Christina Aguilera. How's, I'm just kind of thinking about it like kind of a slap in the face there to Britney Spears, uh, I guess, kind of to get her back for cheating on him. He goes and tours with her major rival, Christina. Uh, so <laughs> that tour was called Justified and Strip, and it was amazing. Me and my boy Rob Schliffel went. And after that tour, uh, after that concert was in Nassau Coliseum, our friend Julian Kmart Mosley called, and he was like, uh, yeah, yeah, you could get me a poster. And then my boy Rob was like, you you want a Justin Timberlake poster? And Julian was like, oh, nah, nah, nah. And Rob was like, you want a poster? I'll get you a poster. And so, you know, it was just one of the many uh, metrosexual Julian moments. Um, who would have thought I would become the gay one? Uh, so then that concert was awesome. Then the next time I saw JT was when he was filming that HBO special for the Future Sex Love Tour. Uh, Future Sex Love Sounds album. And that, by the way, that album came out when that said Julian was visiting me in um, Los Angeles. And it came out on a Tuesday, as albums often do. I went and bought it at, uh, I don't know, Best Buy or someplace that still sold records at the time. This is a little, it was a few years ago now, so uh, not everything was shut down. Um, and it was it was before the days I stopped wanting to buy CDs, so I got the actual physical CD. And Julian and I were just rocking out to that new JT in the car um, all over L.A. And he looks back on that time fondly. I do not, but that's just because I hated L.A., not because I, I hated the album. I love the album. So the second time was at the Garden, and uh, he was great. Justin Timberlake was amazing. Each of those shows had very intricate dance choreography with – uh, several dancers. The difference with this show at Yankee Stadium with his performance was that there were no backup dancers. Uh, at some point, the background singers went uh, and started dancing, but it wasn't choreographed. It was very loose, and they were not professionally trained dancers, as far as I could tell. Uh, and, and I think that was the major difference. The major difference with his performing was that he didn't have all this intricate choreography that he always does because, let's face it, the man can do everything. There's nothing that this guy can't do. I'm insanely jealous. Uh, he's so talented. Uh, but there were certain songs that, you know, you kind of just need to do the choreography for. Like, My Love, 
he did that foot slide, but it was just him. It wasn't like he was doing it in a big group. And I think for the lack of all the dance choreography that there was, which we, you would usually expect in a JC show, he kind of made up for that by playing every instrument known to man. He was on the piano. He was on the guitar. He played lead guitar for Jay-Z. He was a background musician for Jay-Z on several songs, which was incredible. I, I kind of, you know, was thinking, like, it'd be cool to see that the other way around, like Jay-Z, you know, playing instruments to Justin. But then I was like, well, maybe, you know, Hova just needs his mic. That's all he's ever needed. So maybe it kind of makes more sense that he's just doing what he's doing. So the show is phenomenal. Um, show started at, uh, well, it was supposed to start at 8, started at 9.30. Uh, but I was expecting that because I had heard that the night before they came out at 9.15. So I figured, yeah, they're going to come out a little later. And the crowd wasn't even all there at, at, at uh, 8. You know, it's like half empty. Everyone's trying to get through the security, get off the subways and stuff, which, by the way, are a fucking nightmare uh, at Yankee Stadium during a sold-out concert. Um, there's a lot of drunk people, and they are intolerable. Uh, so, and most of them got on at 86th Street on the 4th. <laughs> so the the concert starts, and... You know, there's like a blackout on stage, and then Holy Grail, the music Holy Grail starts, and Jay and JT start walking from downstage left and downstage right towards each other, which was so sick. It was such a sick image. Uh, that was awesome. And uh, they did several songs together. Justin sang hooks on a bunch of Jay-Z songs. Um, and uh, the only Justin song that Jay was on was uh, Suit and Tie of course. Um, but Timberlake, like, filled in for Pharrell, filled in for Mr. Hudson, you know, he filled in wherever uh, Jay needed it. But on some songs, they didn't do that. Like, on some songs, it was just, it was only Jay out there, and they would play, like, Rihanna on Run This Town or whatever, and it wouldn't be Justin. I was thinking there there was some inconsistency there. Like, I, I guess it kind of made sense because, like, you kind of, you don't want to hear anyone but Rihanna sing that hook. I guess it's not really the same when you have, like, a song like Change Clothes, and you you can have Justin Timberlake replace Pharrell without losing a lot of its uh, the song's power. So um, that that was a little inconsistent, but it didn't bother me really until right now. Now that I'm telling you, so thanks for that. Um, but it was the, the transitions from because uh, what they would do is they perform together, and then they would perform a couple songs separate, like. They perform together, then Justin Timberlake does a few, then Jay-Z does a few, then, then they, like, morphed into each other. And I'm not even saying, like, just the music morphed from one, from a Jay song to a, to a Jay-Z song. It was, a, like, I would be looking at the stage, and Justin Timberlake is up there doing Rock Your Body, and then all of a sudden, he doesn't, he doesn't leave the stage. But all of a sudden, he's gone, and Jay-Z is standing in Jay-Z's place. That was pretty freaking weird, man. Um, I don't know how they did that. Uh, I, I kind of expected some surprises. There weren't really any surprises. Timbaland came out. I heard the night before Alicia Keys came out, and that was like a big, huge moment uh, for Empire State of Mind, especially because you're at Yankee Stadium, uh, and that song has become like the Yankees' anthem. What is he saying that uh, I made the Yankee hat more famous than a Yankee can? <laughs> you should know I bleed blue. Um, not me, though. I bleed orange. Uh, and the the show was, was pretty phenomenal. Um, I'm telling you, Justin Timberlake, there's nothing that man can't do. He can sing, he can dance, he can play guitar, piano. 
guitar. He can act. Uh, yeah, he's just absurdly talented. Um, you, you look at like the old Rat Pack guys, and there's there's something. I don't know, maybe I could venture to say a little more special about this guy. Um, because none of those guys did everything. They were great entertainers, but they didn't do everything. I'm not saying he's a better entertainer than them. I'm just saying that there's there's a difference in the amount of things that they could do and that he could do. Uh, so concert ended um, with uh, Jay-Z said, like, I think we should do one more. Justin said, say what? He said, Pope said, I think we should do one more. And Jay-Z said, I-, I need you all to take your lighters out, your cell phones, whatever. We need to light up this place and light it up for Trayvon Martin. And that was pretty moving. And the entire Yankee Stadium was uh, white from the flashes of the cell phones and lighters. And um, it was pretty powerful, powerful moment um, and meaningful. And that was how they chose to end it. Uh, so it was, the stadium looked like that, all lit up during uh, Forever Young, which Justin Timberlake sang the hook on, which was a nice way to close the show. Uh, there was no encore, which I kind of was disappointed by, but when you have, like, such a big show in such a massive stadium, then maybe it's better uh, that you do not have, uh, like, a bunch of encores so that you're, keep on coming out and coming out and the, the crowd keeps leaving and filing out. You kind of want to get everything done at once. Um, so we're going to welcome Danny Serafine in a few minutes. Uh, I want to kind of introduce you to some of his music. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm from Chicago, uh, but let's take a little listen to um, another song of his. Uh, I'm trying to find on the switchboard right now. Let's, let's listen to the CTA, California Transit Authority with Sacred Ground. We'll be right back with Danny Serafine.
Yeah, that was CTA with Sacred Ground. Um, we're going to, uh, I was going to say we're going to preview one more track, but I believe we have our guest on the line. So um, we'll do that other part later. Uh, our guest tonight is one of the founding members of the legendary band Chicago, and Rolling Stone named him one of the 100 greatest drummers of all time. His new band is called CTA California Transit Authority. Please welcome to the program Danny Seraphine. Danny. Hello, how Ryan. How are you? No, it's, it's, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing all I'm right, sir. How's it going? I'm great, man. Rolling Stone has made me one of the one million greatest drummers. <laughs> one of the one million? Yeah, yeah. I'm a little confused, uh, Danny, uh, because the first line in your bio says, something else reviews says, California Transit Authority, founded by the departed drummer Danny Seraphine, has returned with its long-awaited second full length. Now, what do they mean by departed drummer? Am I talking to a ghost? You know, like I said, I'm the one millionth top drummer in, in Rolling Stone, so I guess so. No, I departed. <laughs> I guess as far as they're concerned, I, I'm dead. But no, <laughs> I see. no, I'm, I'm um, still here alive. I'm alive and kicking. Excuse the pun. <laughs> uh, pun excused. Uh, the more puns, the better. Uh, I like yeah. people who are very punny. I can't guarantee that, but I can I can try. Okay. <laughs> now, um, also, you have a song on the new uh, album called "In the Kitchen." Was this inspired by fellow Chicagoan R. Kelly's song "In the Kitchen"? No, no, no. Um, it wasn't at all. Um, it was written by our keyboard. We have two keyboardists in the band: one that tours with us, and one that's basically just does our studio work with us and does a lot of horn arrangements. Some of the horn arrangements. His name is Peter Fish. He, he wrote that song, and I just think he was thinking of the best of what CTA was about. And uh, he used to he played with, when he was a young young man. He played with Buddy Rich as a as a kid, and he you know he just loves the project and, and the music. And I think it's a really it's a really cool song that I was just noticing that on iTunes it's one of the of individual songs that are selling. That's one of the top songs, and you know it's really a cool cool instrumental. But no, it wasn't. I don't believe. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's that's awesome about the iTunes. Uh, your um, bio, Danny, said that you had a uh, jarring departure with your band Chicago. That's what I'm guessing is the uh, departed drummer reference in, in the first line. Um, in right. 1990, after 23 years of, of playing with them, what happened? Well, um, I got I got on the wrong end of a power play, and. Um, it just, it, I think it turned into a mob scene, and and uh, I, I don't, you know, it just, it got out of hand, and it was just silly, you know, and um, basically they fired me, and, and it, you're talking about 23 years of dynamics, so uh, at one time or another, uh, I had pissed somebody off, obviously, and um, that particular time, I, I think to make to make a long story short, which is actually better because I I, I don't like to dwell on it too much because it's okay. It's mm-hmm. been happening so long. I uh, the two lead the two new guys that came in the band uh, said that it's either him or me. They didn't like the fact that a drummer was leading the band, 
Mm-hmm. Lead singers, lead singers generally don't like that. I mean, uh, no, it's not always the case, but that that particular time in the band, I was pretty much running it in a sense of uh, really steering the direction, and and they just they put it to the band, uh, to either him or us. And I think it, what happened was is that you know one time or another I pissed off you know Robert and Jimmy and um, Walt for sure, and and it's like you know. Uh, they figured, well, it's going to be easier to replace a drummer than two lead singers, which on paper would seem that way. But um, I don't think that was the case. It, it, and, and even Bill Champlin, who is really, him and I are really good friends again. And it's really a, a big part of the making of this new record, Sacred Ground, the you know, the healing of the the, 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 the many of the bridge between Bill and I. And I'm happy we did it. And, I, and I'm fairly certain he is too, because <clears throat> it was really... It was really eating at me, and it was really eating at him because I think he felt really bad about what he did and how it went down, and apologized to me. And I said, you know, I forgive you. And and I, I also learned a lot through that whole process about forgiveness and how strong of an emotion and and how good it is for for us as, as people and human beings to be able to forgive somebody that, that wronged us. Because you know, you got to be, you know, we've all done. I've done things that I'm not proud of. I can tell you that. Um, over my 65 years, I've done a few things that. I'd like to undo, and you know, but you don't always get a chance to. So you can only do better going forward. So it was really a, a, a really healing process, part of the process for me. And, and really, I'm not angry anymore about the firing. I think it happened for a reason. I know it happened for a reason, and, and, and I had a part in it too. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to portray myself as this victim. You know, that's really the key. Is I moved forward. I moved on. And uh, I wish them the best. I'm very proud of uh, all the music we made together. And maybe someday uh, the stars might align again and we could do uh, a reunion, even if it's one show for really a, a good cause, uh, to just to kind of end things, end things the right way because they, they, they did end the way they should have. And I know that's true of Peter Cetera as well. You know, So unfortunately you have a dysfunctional situation uh, as far as, you know, People dealing with each other in in the in the day in today, so I, I would like to see that all be healed. I think it would be the right thing to do. You mentioned that uh, they thought it was easier to replace the lead, uh, the sorry, the drummer than the lead singer, but that's clearly not the case when you have the one millionth greatest drummer of all time. Exactly, and um, yeah, yes, yeah, I'm sure they're they're saying, but you know, now we've got the million the guy who was a million three. <laughs> So yeah, it, 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 I don't think it. You know, um, it it didn't necessarily work out great for everybody, but I still mm-hmm. feel like I'm a better person, and I also feel like I'm a better drummer today than I was then. So uh, okay. I, I believe I, I believe I benefited from it in many ways, and and uh, maybe they they did too. But I, I don't think it's 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 productive anymore to be. Adversarial in a real, have an adversarial relationship with each other anymore. I just don't think so. We made such great music together. Uh, we should be friends and and you know uh, enjoy enjoy that legacy that we left behind. This is reminding me of when the uh, Eagles got back together in '94, and Don Henley said uh, that that the heart of the matter was kind of the theme of the uh, the band getting back together because it was all about the songs, all about forgiveness. Uh, you know, even if you, of course, he chooses a song that's one of his own solo songs as the theme for the band. 
but uh, it was kind of reminding me of that in that, uh, you know, they had to forgive each other to, to kind of move on with their, their music. Well, it's worth it. You know, they're much more, if you did, uh, if you had a pros and if you had uh, the good times and bad times column, uh, the good times outweigh the bad times a hundred times, right. you know. And then unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately, quite often people lose sight of that and think mostly and dwell on the bad times. And 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 and, and talk about it as if you know that it was it's not true. I mean, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, relationships with any of the other guys, or, or is that a kind of a slow process? You mean you mean uh, the guys the, the guys that are still in Chicago? You mean? Right. No, not really. That's that's the sad part. No, I really don't. I mean, you know, I've mm-hmm. talked to Robert Lamb a couple times, and uh, there no, I, there's guys that I haven't, like Walt, who I formed the band with, him, and I haven't spoken for over 20 years. I mean, you know, that's kind of ridiculous. And you know, the bad part is, is something could happen to one of us, and you know, we'd regret it. And so, right. uh, you know, I think that I'd like to to see us, you know, have have a few laughs together and. And you know, put this stuff behind us, you know. Of course. Um, so after your departure from Chicago, you then left music for 15 years. Why is that? Well, I was burnt out. I was broken. I was broken, you know. And uh, just just burnt out. And I just disillusioned. And uh, I didn't want to play anymore. I just wanted to be at that point managed and produce other artists and stuff. And so that didn't work out too well either because I was in Colorado. In those days, it was a lot harder to to do the, the satellite thing where you, you know, work out of L.A., New York, or Nashville, but live somewhere else. So, mm-hmm. um, And then I also came to the conclusion that God, that God put me on earth to play drums. <laughs> and I don't do anything. I don't do anything else nearly as well. So uh, that's why I just I really focus on playing these days. When you say you were broken, do you mean that you were heartbroken by the the band kicking out. Well, the band, you know, it, it was, you know, I don't forget I was nineteen when, when I put the band together, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so you know, it was my whole identity was tied up into the band, you know, and yeah, it was it was a rough transition, you know, because it, it, it's not like it was some ordinary band that was a one hit wonder. You know, there there isn't a day, there hasn't been a day that's gone by that I don't hear something that I played on on the radio. And mm-hmm. it does, when I walk into a room or I go into a nightclub and, and people recognize my name, not that they recognize me visually, but a lot of, you know, I'm actually more recognizable today for some reason, I guess. But eventually it comes around to, oh, yeah, the drummer was Chicago, the former. They, they, they still introduce me as the drummer of Chicago, even though I've been gone for 20 Two years, I think I, I mean, I left. I left in ninety, so twenty-three years. Uh, right. Crazy. You just yeah, but but I mentioned that you were. I'm sorry. Go ahead. People still think of me as the drummer of Chicago, and you know Tristan Bowden has been the drummer for a long, long time. Yeah, a long mm-hmm. time. Almost, almost as long as I was in the band. I was in the band twenty-three years, and I think he's been there. Well, I think he's probably almost been there twenty-three years. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned that. Uh, your band Chicago was no one hit wonder I was as I've been um kind of reading up on uh what you guys did it, it really kind of because a lot of artists they'll, they'll come out they'll have some hits and then they'll go away and and they'll you know they'll 
not even break the top 100, but there was a whole lot of ups and downs in, in uh, your band's career, and mostly ups, and it's, uh, it's really impressive that you guys could, could go from, you know, a record with a couple top 10 singles on it to one that didn't have any, and then back on a the top charts after you switch labels and stuff. It must have been quite a, a roller coaster for you guys. Totally. It was a complete roller coaster. I mean, a lot of hard work and, you know, a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, like you say, mostly ups. Uh, you know, not that we didn't work to get there, but it was we had a good, really long, good ride. And, you know, uh, God, there's, you know, it's like a, the legacy, the musical legacy, it's, it's, there's a lot of different twists and turns for sure. Mm-hmm. You know? So you left music for 15 years after the after you split from the band, and uh, I I heard that uh, somebody a fellow drummer that you knew invited you to play a benefit, and that kind of changed uh, your your musical path. Is that what happened? Yeah, Troy Lucetta um, plays with Tesla. He's the uh, <clears throat> he's the drummer with Tesla, and he. Uh, there was a photojournalist by the name of Lissa Wales, who was uh, had had uh, leukemia and needed a desperately needed a bone marrow transplant. So we were trying to, um, well, a bunch of us drummers, through modern drummer, and a promoter in in, in Phoenix by the name of Danny Solisco, uh, put together a, a fundraising concert, and that that was the first time I really played out. With the guys that ended up being CTA, doing CTA, Mark Benia on guitar, Peter Fish, and on one keyboard, and, and, and then Peter was playing. We didn't have a horn section, so Peter was playing the brass parts on with synthesizer, and Ed, Ed was the keyboard player playing. You know, the, and then we had uh, Mick Mahan on bass, who plays with, uh, has played with uh, Pat Benatar for like seventeen, eighteen, long time, seventeen years. And mm-hmm. for that particular gig, we uh, we had Larry Braggs, who was the Tower of Power, the voice of Tower of Power, sing with us. Because um, David Garibaldi was also on that gig. He was also performing. So that's, that's and then uh, Larry ended up singing and performing, uh, singing and performing on, on the Modern Drummer, which was like my comeback to the 2006 Modern Drummer. And he performed on our first album, Full Circle. And he's also sings three or four songs on the new record, Sacred Ground. So, you know, Larry, uh, unfortunately, I mean, that may change him, but he was he was never available to play live with us because he always played with Tower of Power. They, I think mm-hmm. they're the hardest band in show business. So he, uh, but that's changed. He's leaving Tower of Power in January, so I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hopefully doing a lot more live shows with Larry. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, when you got back to playing uh, with these guys at this benefit concert, did it was it like riding a bike? Did it come back to you right away? Did it take a lot more practicing than you're used to? It took a lot of practice. I mean, it's still, I mean, you know, yeah, it, it was, but I, but I couldn't have found better people to do it with. And it was a, it was a good comfort zone because they were, they were rooting for me because they grew up on the music, you know, so to speak. They grew up in the early Chicago, the the music, you know, the early stuff, the CTA, Chicago Transit Authority, and the early Chicago material. So they were like, they were right there for me. And it was great. It was a great feeling and, um, uh, it was really a good way for me to come back because obviously it's the music that uh, defined me and I helped define. So uh, it was there was a comfort level there that I wouldn't have had other places, you know. And 
I felt very, very lucky. And where did the name come from? The the name CTA is a bit of an homage to Chicago, no? Yeah, it, it, well, originally, yeah, because originally the, the original name of Chicago was Chicago Transfer Authority. And I always yeah. I always loved that name. So um, when Mark Bonilla, our guitarist, the guitarist of CTA, the new CTA, we talked about, well, what are we going to name the band? And I said, uh, how about CTA? And he said, well, isn't that a lawsuit? And I said, um May, I don't know. Let me. So I did a name. I did a name search, and lo and behold, not even the city, the city of Chicago had the, the name CTA, uh, you know, registered. So I, I registered the name, and but used used the used the acronym CTA, but called it California Transit Authority. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So it was. Uh, you know, it all worked out good. Good. And you and Mark, you just mentioned Mark Bonilla. You had a jam session uh, that kind of got you excited again. What, what did that jam session mean to you? Well, it was with uh, it was with my friend Greg, my, uh, my friend Greg Bissonette, the drummer, put it, it was at his house, and there was a, a bass player by the name of Bob Birch. He's just passed away a year ago. In fact, it's the one-year anniversary in, in about a month. He was, he was Elton John's bass player for 17 years, and he He's a Chicago fanatic. I mean, he knows he knows the most obscure album cuts, and and so he he was involved too. And he he knows Chicago. They were playing. They were let's play this song. Let's play that song. And it was songs. It was Chicago songs that I didn't. I hadn't played for twenty some years. Some of the stuff, you know. So it was mm-hmm. it was it was really it just was a great connection. It was great to feel that connection, especially with a guitar player. And then Mark and I really connected. And you know, we had a great a great playing. A great relationship together, a musical relationship, as I do with everybody else in the band. But Mark, Mark and I, Mark, Mark's and my relationship is very special. Okay. So, and the new record, uh, Sacred Ground, is the sophomore album um, yes. from your jazz rock powerhouse group, CTA. Uh, tell us a little bit about the album and what people can expect to hear on it. Well, it's it's really made. It's true to the genre of jazz rock, you know, the jazz rock, Blood, Sweat, and Tears in Chicago in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, mid-70s, you know. It's it's made true to that fashion, and it's got the, unlike the first record, um, 12 of the, I think there's 13 or 14 cuts, I, I don't know, but 12 of the 14 cuts are original. We've done mm-hmm. two remakes. One, one is a remake of a Chicago song. And ironically, one is a remake of a Blood, Sweat, and Tears song, which I just I really love that, that that song. It's called "I Love You More Than You'll Ever Know." It's an Al Cooper song, and Larry Larry Bragg sings it, and he just sings it. Oh my God, does he sing it? So, and it's got brass. The brass is in your face, you know, blazing guitar, really great vocals, and good drums, and a really strong, you know, melodic yet you know very rhythmic drums. So. I think mm-hmm. people will love it. That's, um, we're really proud of it, and it's been, it's gotten great reviews, and you know it's it's selling well for an in, totally independent, uh, a totally independent uh, record. So, you know, uh, I have high hopes. In in in, I mean, I don't have the, you know, I mean, you have to keep your hopes within, you know, uh, reason. 
as far as mm-hmm. the kind of success you can attain these days without a label. Even with a label, it's it's very difficult. But uh, I believe that this record will propel CTA into a, a much larger arena, so to speak. And I don't mean big arenas, but I mean, you know, performing arts centers and festivals and uh, casino work, you know, which casinos have turned out to be a very good place for bands to, to make decent money, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure. so I believe we'll, we'll break into that circuit in a much larger fashion with this record. Well, I've been listening to the record, and, and it is uh, very, very good. And uh, you mentioned that you'll – what is the song? You'll never know how much I love you. What, what is the title again? I love you more than, than you'll ever know. Yeah, I, I heard that today, and those those vocals are – who's singing that? That isn't – those vocals are incredible. That's Larry Braggs. Uh, he's, oh, okay. He's, 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 he's yeah. been the voice of Tower of Power for many years, you know. Yeah, I see. The season pro, um, but yeah, yeah and, everything and, and, sounds yeah. great. Um, and and let's uh, break our listeners off with a, a little sample. Um, can you go ahead, Danny, and tell us a little bit about the song uh, "Staring at the Sun"? We'll play it, and then we'll come back. Yeah, here uh, it was written by Mark, myself. Um, I think Ed is involved with that, and Nick. Uh, again, a lot of this record was done collaborative with a collaborative effort. Mark wrote the lyrics, and uh, he also wrote the brass. So really, Mark uh, Mark deserves a lion's share of credit for that song. It's really, I love that tune. Uh, it really, really up tempo, smokes very great. You got that great uh, Chicago musicality to the Chicago Transit Authority feel to it, and that's with. Um, Will Will Champlin, Mark, Mark is singing in the verses, Mark Benia, and Will Will Champlin, Bill's son, is singing the choruses. All right. Well, this is CTA with Staring at the Sun. We'll be right back with Danny Sarastine. <laughs>
as, as uh, Chicago on steroids. What, what do you think people, well, now I kind of think I know what people mean by that, but what do you think people mean by that? Oh, it's just, uh, it's like a young version of the Chicago and tons of energy, you know, um, young energy, because the guys in the band are, you know, a little bit, you know, they're younger than me, that's for sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just real aggressive. It's real aggressive. You know, it's very, it's very uh, reminiscent of uh, Chicago Transit Authority, that, that energy that's just like freight train, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, that it's, you know, so obviously... Like I said, it's 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 very. Really, we're all really proud of this record because it took three years to make it, and um, mm-hmm. a lot of thought, time, and uh, you know, expense. And but there's it, it's it's you can just hear the care that has gone into making it. You know, so like I said, we're very proud of it, and hopefully people will will get get that from it, and you know, be inspired to go out and buy the CD and or you know, and come and see the band live. You know, it's uh, it's a force. Yeah, most definitely. I know we joked about it before, but uh, when Rolling Stone named you one of the top drummers of all time, that's that's a big freaking deal, now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, I don't want to ever think I, I take it lightly, but I, I think what's more important to me is uh, is the uh, the fans. You know, all all the years that the fans have stuck with with me and the band and. Uh, the legacy of music, you know, that uh, that still sounds to get today, still sounds good, you know. So I, yeah. I, I think that's something to really be proud of, you know, that you know, your music, like you say, your music still sounds fresh at 40 years, some years later. And right. I think it's something to strive for, and, and I believe with this record, uh, the new CTA record, I, I really think we've accomplished that. So, you know, yeah. I'm hoping, you know, it, <clears throat> you know, I believe it's going to, the records nowadays, they, they, they take longer to to kind of spread, obviously, because we don't have the, uh, the the massive marketing machines behind it, but it's still, it still happens. And, and you know, it's, it's, I believe this record will reach a lot of people and, and like you say, convert them, convert them to, uh, followers of you know CTA and enjoying the music. At least I hope so. That's it. You know that's what we're shooting yeah. for. Well, I think it will. It's certainly a, a force. Uh, you've also won a few lifetime achievement awards lately. One in Montreal. How does how does that feel? Feels great. I mean, you know, it's uh, whenever you're you're uh, recognized by your peers, which to have an award like that is something more of that tech on that nature. Um, you know, it's it means a lot. You know, it means a lot when you when you know when when a really fine drummer says that he you know was influenced by me. You know, uh, something that I, I I really value. You know. Mhm. You also uh, when you were with Chicago, you co-wrote the song "Street Player," which was just sampled uh, by Pitbull. Um, yeah. How do you feel yeah. about your music being sampled for for rap records? You know, I like it because it it just shows the validity. It just it just it just validates it even more. Then that particular it's been sampled a couple times. This that particular song, I don't know why. Well, it was it was originally cut to be a disco, but it was disco and more. It was like a really it was a lot more than just a disco record. You know, uh, Street Fighter mm-hmm. was you know it's good. I mean, 
besides the fact that it's really that song was the biggest stiff Chicago ever released. So it was like it's like God's way of saying, "Okay, Danny, you weren't ready to to have a hit, big hit at that point." So I want mm-hmm. to slap you down a little bit, but there's your here's your reward, you know. Right. And, uh, cause <laughs> it's been the it's been the gift that has keep kept giving, and I'm very very thankful for it. You know, I want to I definitely want to thank Pitbull, you know, <laughs> for yeah. uh, for doing uh, it. So I uh. Was, you know, it's was very, it was very fortunate to have to have an artist like Pitbull. You know, it's not, you know, rap music and hip hop is it's not necessarily my favorite form of music because it was, you know, not something I totally identify with. But uh, it, it was great. It was great for me and uh, Hawk Walensky, my the guy we who I co-wrote wrote it with. So, you know, again, you gotta you got to be thankful for any any kind of in this industry. You have to be thankful for any. Uh, any of the good things that come your way in whatever form right. they do. Cool. The um, the other guys you mentioned uh, in CCA, I was reading who they've worked with. They've worked with uh, David Coverdale, Alice Cooper, Coolio, Tom Morello, Ricky Martin, Robin Thicke, Tony Braxton. Um, this is just a, a very impressive uh, roster of musicians you have on, on the record. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's really basically an, like an all-star band, you know. I mean, in the sense yeah. of uh, how great these and players have, are. Mm-hmm. And you have the son of a, another member of Chicago in your band, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Bill Champlin, uh, Will Will Champlin. He doesn't perform with us on a full-time basis, and you know, after the he's on the Voice right now. So after the Voice, <laughs> he may not be performing with us much, but he's a great singer. He's the one who's singing the verses. Uh, the, the the chorus is on staring at the sun with a real high voice, and he, there's a song called uh, Strike Wall. It's called Strike, uh, which he he wrote co-wrote, and uh, Peter Fish wrote an amazing horn chart. And uh, I mean, I think that song's a hit. I really think it's a bona fide hit. And whatever it means in this day and age, but uh, maybe it'll be in a movie someday. A soundtrack because yeah. it's it's so good. And uh, you know, listen when you get a chance. If you haven't heard it yet, check it out. Yeah, no, I've heard Strike, I actually, uh, I, I have that ready to go as well. So why, why don't we play uh, the song that you're talking about right now, um, and we'll be right back with Danny. Is there anything else you want to say about this song before we play it? Um, no, no, I mean, it's just, I think it speaks for itself. It's a really, really great song, well-written, and he sings, he just sings it beautifully. Uh, All right, here they are, CTA will Strike. Be right back. On my sleeve, it ain't hard to see right through me. I know it, and I'm not afraid to show it. No, no, I've been tripping on my two left feet. Say I'm all thumbs, but it just ain't me. But baby.
And did you ever have a, a background in, in musical theater? Is there something that, that made you want to do this? No, it just happened. A friend of mine, a friend of mine's son, a close associate of mine's son, approached me uh, through. It was introduced via his father, and his father wanted me to try to help him watch his back, so to speak, because he was pretty new. And so, I basically, at that point, I was just uh, it's first time I'd ever done that. I raised a bunch of money for through friends of mine in Denver, because um, that's where they were going to test. That's where they tested the play, and. I was successful in raising money because I'd never done it before, and I was just, you know, I wasn't the usual car salesman type, you know, agent that approached these guys. So it was um, it was a great experience, a learning, good learning experience. Uh, ultimately, um, you know, not so fulfilling musically, but business-wise, it mm-hmm. was a good experience, and just personally a great experience. So, but no, I never right. had any any musical theater uh, experience. So you, uh, you're a drummer, songwriter, uh, producer, and you can add author to, to that list. Um, there's a, in this book you, where you kind of made peace with your past called Street Player, My Chicago Story, Wiley. Um, first off, uh, explain the title. Well, the title is, uh, you know, named after the song Street Player, obviously, and then My Chicago Story, which is what it is. I mean, you know, a uh, big part of my life, obviously, has been with the band, and you know. It, but it starts out as me as a kid, you know. And it takes and it goes. It's an odyssey. It takes you through, through all of the, you know, the ups and downs and sideways and forward and you know backwards and motions of my, where my life has been since, uh, you know, growing up in Chicago in the Italian neighborhoods. You know? And what made you decide to write this book? Uh, let's see. I would say 2007, I think, is when I decided to to write it. It took about three to three years to put together. It was released uh, in 2010. Believe it or not, it's it's been out for a while, but it's kind of getting revitalized, you know. And uh, you mentioned in the book that you were in a, a street gang as a child. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, Tell me a little bit time. about that. Well, that was uh, it was a great experience. I mean, in the sense of um, loyalty and uh, learning the ethic code and the ethics of street of the street, especially in those days, it was a lot more honorable. Um, there were some things I did, obviously, I wasn't proud of either. But um, okay. I'm glad it just it just taught me a lot, and it really it really fueled me to want to make it in, in music and anything because I knew I was heading in a bad direction, and I knew if I didn't connect something that uh, some bad things were going to happen in my life. So I was very How old were you at that time? 15, 16, 14, 15, 16. And uh, tell me about the shooting that almost took your life the night before you uh, stood there in your mother's kitchen contemplating your, your dreams. Um, I don't... I'm, I don't recollect a shooting that almost took my life. No, I mean... Hmm. I got shot at a few times, but uh, I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. There was one street fight, one, one street fight that we had in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, and they shot at us, and that was scary. But uh, that was just, you know, us being stupid, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, getting almost getting stranded in the other gang's territory, and 
They went, yeah, we might not have walked out. It was, they, got, they shot at us with shotguns, and you could hear the buckshot, you know, the, uh, hitting above our heads and off the brick walls, and it was scary. It was a scary time. I mean, especially once it got to that. It, you know, it was one thing when it was just fist fighting and, you know, other baseball bats and stuff. It's, but when, it came, when, it was, when they started pulling the guns out, I'm really glad yeah. that it was God taking me out of there and putting me in music and, and and from that point on, I just made my life as a musician. I was lucky. I was very lucky. Right. Well, that that had to have been terrifying. Uh, the, the this anecdote about you standing in in your mother's kitchen, uh, kind of having this epiphany about where your life was headed, is is that a true anecdote? Yeah, totally true. Yeah, I mean, it was really ironic that I was. I remember this one was yesterday because it was so life changing. Um, you know, have, thinking that, you know, this isn't working, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit pursuing my dream, and boom, the phone rings, you know, it was really, it was just, it was ironic, you know, and then getting the call to go, to go audition for the, the band, Jimmy Ford and the executives, and then getting the gig, and then, then my life changed from that, came from that day on, it was really great, I was very lucky, I wish that for every, every struggling musician, and you know, or artists, you know, that, that they have that sort of a breakthrough, you know, intervention, so to speak, by fate, you know? Yeah, that's so crazy that it happens right in that, you got that phone call in that moment. That's yeah, kind of amazing. It, it, it was. I agree. Um, and in the book, you talk about touring with the Beach Boys, Springsteen, Zeppelin, and other legends. Um any uh, can we get a little snippet of a, of a story from you here with uh, touring with any of those those artists? Well, Hendrix was really cool. Um, they were all cool. It was all it was a, it was a great time to be in music uh, during that time. But one in particular that I remember was Jim, Jimi Hendrix had uh, heard us at the whiskey uh, whiskey or go go in L.A. nineteen sixty nine. And he, um, we finished our set. <clears throat> we finished our set, and we walked back into our dressing room, and there was Jimi Hendrix waiting there, and just raved about us, and just said he was, you know, with the best band he'd ever heard in his life, and he loved our guitar player, and I, I connected with with Mitch Mitchell, uh, Hendrix's drummer. So then, uh, when our our first album came out shortly thereafter, and he, Jimmy took us out on the road for you know months, six weeks. And you know, it really helped break the band. It was such. It, was, it really helped, and it really helped us a lot. And the story wow. from that would be there's a really cool story. Um, mm -hmm. Jimmy, we were we met we were meeting up with him in uh, it was Greenville, South Carolina, someplace down south. It might not have been that, but I think it was Greenville. And we we got on a Piedmont, and those days they had an airline called Piedmont Airlines in the south. It was just in the south and southwest. And you, it was a prop plane, turbo prop, and it was during the summertime. So we 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 uh, we hit some really strong turbulence, and I'm sitting right behind Jimi Hendrix, and and I'm getting sick, and I'm barfing, like I'm like I'm barfing into the barf bag, and I'm so embarrassed because there's Jimi Hendrix sitting right in front of me, and I'm barfing practically on his back. And anybody, if you know any history about Jimmy, he was a paratrooper in the army, and he right. So it wasn't even wasn't even phasing him. So 
he had his hand on my head saying, kid, it's going to be all right, kid. You're going to, we're, we're going to make it. Don't worry. We're, it's going to be fine. And it was such a such a great memory to have Jimi Hendrix consoling you while, while you're barfing and embarrassed. You know? <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you talk about how your first meeting with Janis Joplin almost turned into a, a fist fight. What, what happened? Well, um, we were opening for, it was us in Santana. We were opening for Janice at the Fillmore West. And so you know, I stood on the side of the stage and was watching Janice and, uh, she was done and I was walking backstage. And so they, they were behind me and I guess I was walking kind of slow and, and she said, get the fuck out of my way. Hurry up, get the fuck out of my way. And I, I, I mean, I wasn't used to having anybody talk to me that way let alone Janice uh-huh. Joplin. I mean, I really barely knew who she was. I mean, I'd heard of her. And obviously, I was really I was really astounded to see how she went over. But I turned around and said to her, who the fuck do you think you're talking to, bitch? And she, <laughs> she looked at me like her mouth dropped. No one, had, no one, everybody was kissing her ass. And so a couple of her band members looked at me like they wanted to to to, to fight with me. And I looked at them like I stared them right down. They were, they, you know... It was stupid of me, but I just was, it was a knee-jerk reaction, so um, she kind of, they shuffled off around me, and they went backstage, and so we went backstage, and she came walking up to me, and she said, look, I'm really sorry, I'm not usually like that, and it was, and I said, I'm sorry for for cussing at you, you know, and so we became really, really good friends after that, and uh, she took us out on tour as well. It's uh it's- fascinating that you know people say it's uh you learn a lot from the first impression but in this case the, your first impression of her wound up being nothing like she actually is huh no uh, janice was uh yeah she had a really soft sweet vulnerable vulnerable side and, it, and she didn't let a lot of people see it but when you saw it, it was really it was really something it was really special so um in the book, uh, obviously, it's, it's Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, they, you, you lost them very young. Uh, you talk in the book about your the tragic loss of your friend uh, Terry Cass. Uh, tell me, tell me what things were like during that time, and and what your reaction was to losing someone so important to you. No, it, it, it was terrible. It was really hard on the band. Uh, we all loved Terry, and everybody. You know, it was a really tight. We were really tight in those days. I mean, we were like it was a brotherhood, for sure. Mm-hmm. And losing Terry was like losing a brother. But you know, not only that, musically, like you know, how do you, re- you don't replace a Terry Cat? And so, you know, we we tried. We went to a few different people. Uh, Donnie Dacus was probably the first guy. He did a great job. He's a really talented guy. But you know, again, we we probably expected too much, and uh, too soon, and 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 and. Of Donnie, and uh, we ended up letting them go. But I think it was a mistake, you know. We should have given him another chance, and because he was really, really talented, really fine singer, guitar player, guitarist, and a good songwriter, and a great performer. Um, it wasn't until we brought Champlin, Bill Champlin, into the band, I think, that we finally came back around and were at full strength again. It took a long time to recover from Terry. It took years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that must have been tough. And it was uh, just yeah. a, a freak incident, right? It was a, a yeah, self-inflicted. It was, a, yeah, it, was it was a definitely an accident. Was, he didn't shoot himself intentionally, not at all. But he was right. he was high on he was high on cocaine and drugs. Had been up for a few days, and that's what happens. People get careless and stupid when when they um, 
you know, when they when they abuse drugs and alcohol and play with guns. You know, it's just not a good combination. Yeah. Did you ever get sucked into the, the world of drugs and alcohol? Um, uh, not really, because I have a very, very low tolerance to both. And okay. I really, I can't, I can't function. So no, I, I was fortunate, really. I, uh, but I ended up being like the designated driver for the band in many, for many, many years, uh, because it was really prevalent in the band. I see. Um, and in your book, Danny, you talk about how Chicago differs from all other bands. Uh, why does it differ from all other bands? Well, because one is, uh, I mean, I, when, at our strongest, I mean, I, I don't know that Chicago, I think, was one of the greatest bands of all time because we could we could play music that none of the other bands, because of the musicians, the high level of musicianship, that no, I mean, no, no other big band, successful band could play classically or Latin or, you know, or African-based, you know, and, and within the and you know in, in within a pop format, you know, um, so I, mm-hmm. that's what I think really set the band apart. You had three really great singers, you had really strong songwriters in the band and arrangers, and you had these really th- really strong talented instrumentalists. So it was a it was really really an all star team, so to speak. Right. Uh, well, certainly a very unique sound with uh, your new band, CTA, as well. I want to make sure I get these right. Uh, people can follow Danny on Twitter at Danny Seraphine, uh, at CTA on Twitter at CTA the Band, and the website is CTAtheBand.com. Uh, if you guys yes. tour and come come to New York, I am I am there, sir. Well, I, I look forward to meeting you, Ryan. So thanks thanks for the you know. Thanks for exposing the music and uh, the great interview. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. This is one of my favorite interviews of all time. It was very uh, eye-opening, and I, I love these kinds of uh, interviews where we can kind of talk about just a, a kind of a rock history, if you will. Um, well, and uh, I'm very uh, excited that you're back and you're spiritually and creatively reinvigorated. And uh, And just from what I've heard, I've heard about Maybe half the new record so far. It's it's really something, and uh, I uh, I'll be recommending it to all my friends and listeners. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. you know that's uh, help spread the word. It, it, that's what it takes. Thank you so much, Ryan. Will do. Thank you so much, Danny. Take care. Have a good night. You too. Bye bye. Bye. All right. That was Danny Seraphine from CTA California Transit Authority. Um, what do you say we play one more? track just so you can see how just how freaking talented these guys are um i will play the song full circle and uh we'll be right back to close out the show Sam. i thought you turned your back on me left me here alone i didn't know i'd miss you so